This episode is brought to you by Voyager and Matcha. Stay tuned for more information on both later in this episode. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Today's guest is the founder and creator of one of the world's most popular cryptocurrencies. Founded in 2011, Litecoin has caught the attention of traders, investors, OGs, and newcomers for its unique set of properties and also its similarities to its cousin, Bitcoin. Having Charlie on today, I hope to better understand what his motivation was for creating Litecoin, where the project fits into the market today, and how he views the space now compared to how he viewed it 10 years ago. Charlie Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the questions, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing media company in the digital asset space. You can check them out at blockworks.co and you can check out everything else I have going on at the Wolf of All Streets.io. So now to get into today's episode, uh, for context, it is May 20th. So yesterday, 519 was one of the most brutal days that we have seen uh, in the crypto space. Maybe the worst that we've seen except for the COVID crash. What are your thoughts on everything that's happening right now in the market, having seen basically everything that this market has to offer for over 10 years? Um, I actually don't think yesterday was that bad. I mean, I've been in this space for so long. I've seen um, some pretty bad days. I, yesterday is definitely a bad day, um, but I wouldn't say it's it's the worst day. Yeah, the COVID crash was was pretty bad. It lasted a bit longer than this, um, but the, it rebounded really quickly. So I mean, it's it was painful, but it I think the worst is over. So. I mean, in your experience, having gone through it so many times, were there top signals? I mean, you're notorious, obviously, for being very good at selling the top. Um, so were there top signals here that had you, you know, concerned that potentially we would see a drop like this? Um, I mean, there's people see top signals all the time, right? So uh, the, the thing is, because it, it's gone up so fast, um, like so quickly, it corrections like this is just normal. It's kind of par for the course for, for crypto, right? every time we in a bull market, it doesn't just go up in a straight line. Everyone knows this, right? There's always like 30%, 40% crashes along the way. It goes up like another three X and then does another 30, 40% crash. It's, it's very volatile and that's kind of just expected. The thing that I kind of see with these crashes, what actually happens is um, you have a lot of panic selling, right? People with weak hands are selling during the crash. They buy high and sell low, which is, exactly the opposite of what you want to do. And what happens is these weak hands actually sell into stronger hands, right? Into people who actually, to hodlers who are buying the dip. So um, that's what happens with these um, crashes, you shake out the weak hands and then you have stronger hands and then that's, how, that's what will take us to the next level, right? So it's kind of, you kind of need these crashes for, for Bitcoin or for crypto to go up in price, like to keep going up in price for this bull run. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. In this case, all the on-chain metrics show that exactly that happened, that you know, it was retail, that it was new, that had their coins on exchanges that were selling and all the old wallets were buying and didn't, didn't sell or move anything. So I, you know, I guess it really is par for the course. I guess just this time it was over 50%. And I think there was a narrative of these super cycles and the 50% drop could never happen again and all of those things, institutional floor, right? So I guess this time it is not different, right? Yeah, and everyone says this. This is this time. It's different. <laughs> it's not going to be like last time. And then the history repeats itself, and the same thing happens. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Unfortunate because retail investors they hear about these coins or they hear about crypto like Bitcoin, even like Dogecoin at the high, right? And then they 
they pile in at the high and then when it crashes 30 40 percent those are the, unfortunately those are people that can't handle the crash they're not used to it they can't they can't hollow through it and they they sell um which is unfortunate because they lose a lot of money that way um yeah but do you think that this time with doge and then shib which was a knockoff on doge and do you think that all these things were even a bigger sort of retail bubble than we've seen in the past i mean i know 2017 was basically purely retail speculation so but i mean it was a little crazy this time with the meme coins and TikTok and you know just how much retail now has access it was definitely crazier than 2017 but if you remember 2017 it was pretty crazy too like it was yeah. bitcoin was all over the news all over cnbc um there's like thousands of icos like everyone's piling into into all these icos um which is no different than like sheep and all these uh, dog tokens this time around right so it's just retail piling into something they don't understand into like yeah so it's, it's it was it's pretty similar um yeah do you think that these moves shake the narrative in any way the institutional narrative do you think that you know or an etf coming the things that we would expect do you think that seeing this 50 percent in a in a week type type drop uh you know would make them more disinterested a little bit but people like michael saylor they have they have pretty strong hands right they <laughs> they believe in they believe in bitcoin in in the the promise of of bitcoin the that it's a it's a better store of value than anything else in the world um, gold included. Um, so I don't think it, in the long term, it, it hurts that narrative. Um, the problem is for, for something like an ETF, I think the, the regulators might be, might be concerned about the volatility of Bitcoin and that may delay the ETF launch, um, which is unfortunate, but yeah, we just have to be, be more, Bitcoin needs to grow to become more stable and not, not as crazy as this over time, it will be. So you think that uh, as prices increase and as we get more awareness and perhaps more regulation that we lose some of the volatility? Uh, yeah, especially if Bitcoin, if, when it grows bigger, right? If the market yeah. cap of Bitcoin is um, whatever, five, ten trillion dollars, then it will be less volatile. Kind of remove some of the excitement for traders, right? Yeah, I mean, for traders, volatility is good, right? You make money off of volatility. Yeah. So where uh, I touched on it in the intro, obviously Litecoin, you know, has been a, one of the top top names in the space since since you created it. I'm curious to go back to why at that point you made the decision to do that, uh, having seen what Bitcoin was and and what did you think needed to be improved? Um, yeah, so this is in 2011, uh, ten almost 10 years ago. Um, October, yeah, crazy October of 2011. Back then, there were about a dozen altcoins. So Litecoin is not actually the, the second or the first altcoin, um, but it's one of the only ones um, still like still running since 2011. Um, it, I created it just for fun. It was a project that I kind of just, yeah, it, was, it wasn't supposed to be, I didn't expect it to, to actually become what it is today. Um, and one of the, Kind of thing. The reason why I created it is because all these other altcoins in existence back then were were launched were not launched fairly. So there were a lot of all of them had pre mines um, just to enrich the founders. So I decided to launch something that is um, very similar to Bitcoin, um, except for a few tweaks, make it so that it can be CPU mined at that time, and um, launch it fairly. So no pre mines. Um, 
the launch was announced ahead of time. So everyone knew about it before it launched. Software was launched before the, the network went live. So people can test out their, um, their computer to mine Litecoin at the, at the beginning. Um, what else? The, the launch date was voted on by the community, the launch time. So because everyone's in a different time zone, so it's kind of impossible to launch at a time that's perfect for everyone. So right. I put up a poll in um, Beat Bitcoin Talk, let people vote on what's the best time. I think it launched like at really late for me, but that's fine. Um, and then what, what else? Yeah, so people can have their, um, have Litecoin, um, the, the miner running. And then at launch, they just had to change the configuration, restart the miner, and it'll be mining on the main net as opposed to a test net. So that was, yeah, I tried to make it as fair as possible. And I think that's one of the reasons why it succeeded where all the other coins failed is because people supported Litecoin knowing that it's not unfairly enriching one person or a group of people. Um, I myself had to mine and buy coins off an exchange just like anyone else. That's, that's crazy. So it's really early 2011. What got you into Bitcoin in the first place and passionate enough because it was so small and nascent at that, at that time to really see that, hey, man, this is the future. This is what I want to do. You know, I got in in 2016. At that point, it was pretty big and pretty obvious, right? So it really was no risk at that point. What you did, it's just incredible to me that people had that passion that early. Yeah. Um, when I, when I, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, when I got in, um, when I found out about Bitcoin, I pretty much knew right away this was going to be huge. Um, I, I had, ex I have experience with gold and silver knowing that it's like, like good money compared to, to fiat currency. So I saw the need for um, something better than fiat currencies and Bitcoin kind of filled that. It's a better form of um, currency. It's actually a better form of gold. It's very similar to the properties of gold, but it, it's better because it's digital. You can transfer it to anyone, anywhere around the world um, quickly and cheaply. And, and yeah, so, um, so I got hooked right away. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I didn't put all my money into it, but I invested into it knowing that it's going to become huge. I mean, it actually exceeded my expectation. I remember telling people back then when Bitcoin was about $10 that it's going to hit $5,000 in the next um, 10 years. Right. That's, that was my prediction. It would hit 5,000, which was pretty crazy. Like going insane from 10 bucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So people didn't believe me, but it exceeded it. Right. It's like, it's almost 10 times more than that. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And with that said, I would imagine that a large part of the community probably already thought you were crazy at 5,000. So they probably, speaking of weak and weak hands or strong hands, I would imagine very few people held past a few hundred or a thousand or 5,000 or most of the people, do you think who are that early, even, you know, still holding those coins, do you think they long since have sold them? I would say most people sold them. Like if, it, if you do an investment and went up 10 X, yeah. You're like, I hit, I hit the lottery. I better, like, I should sell or sell most of it and take in the profit. Um, it's actually pretty hard to, to hodl through all of it, right? It's, it's not, people, everyone, like, thinks, oh, if I got in that in 2011, I would be, like, a millionaire now. It's not, <laughs> it's not easy to actually have that conviction. Um, because it, it, it crashed a lot, right? It went, it went from, when I first bought my Bitcoin from my current, actually, at $30 um, in the next like two, three months, it dropped to $2. So it had a, like a 90% crash. Um, and that's huge, right? That's crazy. So be, to be able to like hodl through that and not like 
think that Bitcoin is going to zero is, is tough. Most people would just um, quit and leave the space. Um, so it went from 30 to two and then went to like 100 and dropped to 50, went to like 280 and then dropped to 100, went to 1,000, dropped to 200. And you, you, you've seen after that, you've seen yeah. like, like, it just, it goes up a lot, but then drops a lot too. So it's, it's, it's definitely uh, shakes, shakes you out. Which has got to be like, I would imagine for you, I always argue about this, that people always say the OGs are so lucky. Like you touched on it, right? If I had just known about it, but there's no luck involved if you still are holding any of that. I mean, it's just insane to think of having hands that strong. Yeah. And a lot of people who actually are luckier, the ones that bought Bitcoin or just happened to own a lot of Bitcoins in the beginning and forgot about it. Forgot about it. Right. The the dust (laughs) wallet. (laughs) For like five years, and then they're like, "Wait, Bitcoin? I might have some." And then they dig up, dig up their old, old wallet and found like a few thousand Bitcoins in it. Um, those are the people that are lucky because if they had followed it, they wouldn't have been able to hold on to it. If you've been paying any attention to me or have been following me for any length of time, then you know I absolutely love Voyager. Every single time someone tweets me or asks me, "Hey Scott, where do you trade and invest?" the answer is always Voyager. They offer over fifty. Assets to trade, commission-free. I save so much money, it almost feels too good to be true. And that's not even my favorite part of Voyager. My favorite part is the insane interest that I earn. Up to 10% on my USDC, 6.25% on my Bitcoin, and 5.25% on my Ethereum. Whether I'm trading or not, I'm earning interest on what's sitting on the platform. Making money literally couldn't be easier, and there are no lockups or Limits go to the wolf of all streets dot link slash Voyager. That's V O Y A G E R and download the Voyager app and use code Scott 25 to get $25 in free Bitcoin. When you create your account, what are you waiting for? Go download Voyager guys. Matcha is absolutely awesome. If you've traded on Uniswap or pancake swap or sushi swap or any of them, you know that all of these dexes have their issues. Well, Matcha allows you to trade on all of them at the same time. Time It finds you the best price. It optimizes your gas fees so they're cheaper and also allows you to use limit orders, which is huge because you don't have to be married to your screen, sitting there staring, willing your exit or entry to finally arrive. It's really mind-blowing. Once you go on Matcha, I can assure you that you will never go back. To check it out, go to thewolfofallstreets.link slash matcha. Guys, I'm telling you, go check out Matcha right now. Were you actively using it and transacting in it back then? I mean, we all hear the stories of the, you know, the billion dollar pizzas, but, uh, you know, if, do you ever look back and go, man, if I had just not, you know, bought this, uh, graphic design, you know, this image or something from somebody. Yeah. I mean, there's always, it's always the case, right? What basically anything, because the, the price right now is so much higher than before. So anything, anything you spent Bitcoin on is. <laughs> is totally not worth it. I mean, I bought Bitcoin, I bought stuff with Bitcoin um, through various merchants that set the Bitcoin or whatever, um, buying Amazon gift certificates. Um, if you look back on it, you just regret everything. But in the end, like, <laughs> it's not, you can't really, you can't really look back and, and nitpick everything you do. No, I think most people in the community who are later kind of have the same feeling about Doge. I mean, if I'd held all the Doge that I once traded through those like hilarious cycles, I would have had like $50 million in Doge or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, at one point I had quite a bit of Doge to play around with. Um, I actually sent them all to, um, to something called Doge Party. It's a counterparty fork um, yeah. that, that went to $0, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so all my Doge is locked up into a counterparty um, burn address or a Doge Party burn address. 
Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. So speaking of people buying things with Bitcoin, obviously the big news of the last few months has been you can and then you can't buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Um, do you think anyone in their right mind was going to actually buy a Tesla with Bitcoin? <laughs> um, I would. I would. Oh, so um, there you go. You're yeah. the first person I said who would, <laughs> would do it. Everybody else is like, I wouldn't pay the taxes, deflationary asset. Uh, I mean, I think in the end, the end goal is Bitcoin is, is money, right? So you, right. you all your, it's, it's where you keep your money. And then if all you have is Bitcoin, then you have to spend right. it to buy stuff, right? So, and people are, it's a bit too risky right now to put everything into Bitcoin. Um, but as it goes, as it grows bigger and stabilizes, it becomes like the best form of money. And that's where you put most of your wealth in. So you you do still believe in the peer-to-peer cash narrative of Bitcoin? Because a lot of people, obviously, you you started with it being, you know, the the white paper and having that narrative. But I think it's seemingly the majority of people are now on to the digital gold narrative that you talked about and sort of say maybe stable coins are better for transacting and, you know, there, there's better currencies than Bitcoin. But you still believe that it would be the ideal peer-to-peer cash in that perfect world. It is. I think people are kind of confused about what it means to be peer-to-peer cash, right? So if you think about it, Bitcoin is, um, Bitcoin layer one is, is like gold, right? But Bitcoin layer two is like cash. So um, fiat currency or paper money used to be redeemable for gold. So the reason why paper money was invented is because it's easier to use, right? It's a layer two on top of gold. So you can always redeem it for gold if you want to, just like right now, Lightning Network is layer two. You can always um, redeem it for on-chain Bitcoin if you want to. Um, but if you stay in the Lightning Network layer, then you can easily transact between peers, um, fast, uh, quick, low fees, similar to what people do with paper currency, right? You can redeem for gold if you want to, that was back then. And then otherwise you just, you just um, transfer these paper currencies that are backed by gold and everyone agrees that this is um, what, the amount of gold that stayed on the paper. The the better part, the best thing about Bitcoin layer two is you can't break the, unlike gold and paper currency, you can't break that bond. You can't break that link, right? What happened with the US government deciding that the paper currency is no longer backed by gold, then they just broke the link. But with, with Lightning Network, you can't do that. So that's a better form of kind of money than what we have today. And that that is what fulfills Satoshi's vision. Right. Layer two is where everything is cheaper, it's faster, it's even more private, and it works better as, as cash. And layer one is restore value. It's similar to gold. I thought Craig Wright fulfilled Satoshi's vision. <laughs> <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> so, you, you, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what he said. It's I mean, there's, called there's BSV. Lot of, there's a lot of people actually think that. So, there, there are quite a few. Yeah. It's, it's pr- pretty unbelievable. I mean, you were that early. I've never even asked anyone this because it always seems such a meme question. But do you have any idea who Satoshi is or was? I have no idea. Unfortunately, like when I when I found out about Bitcoin, um, Satoshi already left the scene. I actually thought, I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, when I found out about Bitcoin, I just thought I was late to it because a few months before I found out about Bitcoin, the price was less than a dollar. So... <laughs> I found out about Bitcoin at the high. I mean, that's what happens to everyone, basically. When people yeah. start talking about it, you start reading about it, it's when the price is, is peaking um, at that, for that period, right? So, yeah, I thought it was, I was late. And Satoshi already left, so I wasn't able to talk to him. Would have been cool, though. 
Yeah, that would have, that would have been incredible. So you touched on the fact that when you started Litecoin, there were already like 10 altcoins, right? Yeah. So many. Now we have like 10,000, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and you also touched on the fact that when there were 10, they're not here. Litecoin is, Bitcoin is, and then we've obviously know the ones that grew, grew from there. So how many of these 10,000, which will probably be 11,000 by next month and 12,000 next month, how many of these can possibly survive and what's, you know, what happens to, to the market if, if they don't? I think a lot of these coins will survive. I mean, it's, it's hard to kill off a decentralized um, cryptocurrency or even like a centralized one. Um, they, they just hang around. Uh, so, but only like a handful of them will actually be worth something of value, right? Only a handful of them will actually be used as, as money. And I'm, I'm obviously hoping that Litecoin will be one of them, um, but I know for sure that Bitcoin will be, right? So the market will kind of just, it will sort itself out over time. And, and it has, right? The, the stronger currencies rise to the top and the weaker ones just um, disappear over time. So do you think that they just sort of become a little playground for traders and go back and forth, but never have utility or any innovation? I mean, it's effectively what Doge is, right? Um, yeah. I mean, to be fair, most coins don't have any utility today. In the first they're, place. They're, yeah. All, yeah, they're all very speculative. Right. Even a lot of the top coins, they don't even function as what they promise, but the, people are speculating on the future value, the future utility of the coin. And that's what happens and the market will, will, figure, will figure things out. Right. But now, I mean, besides all the coins, obviously, we also now have a, an incredible amount of competitive and really useful and powerful blockchains. Right. I mean, and we always hear, obviously, we know Ethereum, but all the Ethereum killers do you think that there's a place for all of these? Do you think that they'll silo off into their very specific purposes? And then, you know, perhaps will be interoperable through things like Cosmos. Um, or do you think that there, it will really be a king of the hill, you know, one man take all sort of situation? I don't think it'll be a one man take all. I mean, a lot of Bitcoin maximalists think that um, Bitcoin will eventually like kill everything. I, that's not, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be a, like a lot of currencies around um fighting for the top spot but it's it's in the end i think a lot of these will be connected like via cosmo or something else um i think the end game is people will store the value in bitcoin or crypto and not really care about what network the money is actually flowing through right just like i've used this example many times just like when you swipe your credit card you don't really know which bank gets contacted who has to approve what for the money to go from um, from your, to the merchant and, and then get from money to go from you to the merchant, right? This whole process is just opaque to you. And I think for crypto, eventually that's the same thing would happen. Like you pay with crypto, it could go through a network, it could be on chain, it could be something else. It could be layer three, whatever it is, all that matters is that money goes from you to the merchant and you get the service or the product that you bought for. Um, so yeah. So much like you don't think about how your cell phone works anymore and you don't think about how your email or your or the internet works, it's just yeah. the underlying tech works and you don't think about it. I mean, how far are we from a future where blockchain is that underlying technology of, you know, many of the things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, it's hard to say. I think it's still quite a ways away, um, but that's why there's still a lot of growth potential. I think that, um, we'll get there eventually. 
um, the price will, will rise, the, the network will get bigger, the value, will, the market cap will, will become huge. But by then, every like everything will be, people will be using Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto without even knowing it. When you originally got into it, you talked about the fact that obviously you understood that it was better money and, uh, and it was 2000, you know, 2011 after 2008 and nine and 10. So there was a, obviously this grand awakening, I think, at least as to how insane central bank policy was, but that's ramped up by many multiples in the last year. Do you think that that is partially driving this renewed interest in Bitcoin? Do you think that your average person is starting to understand, or do you think that most people are still in the dark about their money? Um, I mean, I agree this, this, it's definitely ramped up like, the Fed has um, printed so much like trillions of dollars last year. Um, but I think that's inevitable. I think fiat currency has a, always has a limited life, lifetime lifespan. Um, I think over the history of our um, existence, no fiat currency has lasted more than 200 or so years. And yeah. we're kind of, um, yeah, I think US dollar will eventually hit uh, hyperinflation and yeah, we'll go to zero, but it might not be in, in our lifetime, but it's going to happen. And Bitcoin obviously is going to uh, take over, in my opinion, when that happens. Um, in, in terms of people being more aware of that, I think I definitely think more people are, are becoming more aware of that. Um, but still, like more than 90% people are in, are in the dark. Still, like just a small pocket of people that are aware of this. Um, but yeah, it will take time for people to become aware of it. I think it's because like, we're still used to it as a society as like, well, like I was born into this fiat system, right? I don't know any better. Yeah. And this generation, yeah. Um, the yeah, everyone's just used to fiat currency. So it will take like a generation or two for kind of the mindset to change, right? Nowadays people, are, the, new, the new, the babies today will be born to a world where Bitcoin exists. And when they grow up, they will learn about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and they will see and understand the difference and realize the potential of it. Um, so it would be hard to teach an old dog a new trick. So if you look at people like Warren Buffett, <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're never going to learn. So it will right. take a generation or two before um, everyone starts to realize the potential of Bitcoin. But the toxicity of that generation about it is pretty astounding. Yeah, because they that's what got them rich right that's what they know and understand so they're gonna fight for it against bitcoin um with everything they have so yeah do you do you think that that's what's happening i mean do you think that they see it as a legitimate threat or do you think that they sort of still laugh it off and hope it'll go away it seemed like for a very long time they were sort of just hoping it would go away and now maybe they can't hope that anymore um i i don't know for sure uh, i think probably just a little bit of both um, some people still think it's going to go away, but it's not going to go away. Yeah, I think I think we we know it's not going to go away. So where does so what's your involvement now with Litecoin? Obviously, everyone knows the famous story of how you sold it kind of right near the top, but that wasn't to exit your uh, your affiliation with it, correct? Yeah, so I, I've been working on Litecoin pretty much full time since 2017 after I left Coinbase, um, managing director of the Litecoin Foundation. So working on adoption, pushing for adoption, and then um, development of Litecoin. Um, yeah, I mean, Litecoin is is kind of is my baby, right? So I'm, I wanted to succeed. It's not, I just didn't want to be, I didn't, I didn't feel like I should be, in, I need to be invested in the coin. 
because that's not what motivates me anyways. So it's not like it really does anything. It's just not having the, the financial aspect of it makes it more, um, makes things more clear for me because I just, I just care about the adoption and success of the coin. Sometimes the, the price of a coin is, is a distraction. Right? The, the coin can pump for no reason. Um, and then you feel like you're doing something good, but actually you may not be doing anything good. It's just that the market is just pumping everything. Right. So I think not having this, um, this conflict is just be better for me. It's hard. It's hard for people to understand, but that's fine. No, I think that actually makes a lot, a lot of sense rationally, especially if people understand this market, you know, people might not understand that if you were Jeff Bezos and you yeah, yeah. wouldn't want to have any Amazon stock. But I think in this market, <laughs> when you see that the price doesn't necessarily determine the value, right? I mean, we see yeah. things that go absolutely nuts that don't even are basically vapor. So it's very hard probably to differentiate the price from your motivation for doing it. Yeah. And the, the difference between like crypto and, and regular stock is people like, um, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they're actually, they're paid to increase shareholder value. So their job is to increase the price of the stock and they're, they're compensated with, with the stock to keep their interests aligned, right? Because they have a lot of stock and then they, they want to work towards increasing that price, which helps themselves financially. So everything is aligned. And that's why um, that happens in, in the real world or in the, in the normal stock uh, public company world. But with cryptocurrency, it's different, right? I didn't, I don't have Litecoin printed um, to give myself uh, to incentivize me to to pump the price of Litecoin. So it's it's very different. I mean, especially for Litecoin, which is uh, which had a fair launch. There's a lot of other cryptos. Um, they have huge pre mines. Even Ethereum had a huge pre mine. Then then that's different. Then they have a lot of coins that they can give out to developers to incentivize them to to do the work to pay them to do the work. Um, but with Bitcoin and Litecoin. And even Dogecoin, it's not, it's not the same. And it's hard for people to kind of understand how, why it's different. So what does the future of Litecoin look like ideally for you? Just, I mean, you're working on it full time, basically you said, and um, I know now your belief in what Bitcoin will be in the future. So where does Litecoin fit in? Um, what I'm working with Litecoin right now is adding fungibility and privacy to it. Fungibility is, um, is something that is missing or it's not, as good in Bitcoin and Litecoin today. I think in terms of like properties of good sound money, Bitcoin and Litecoin has everything except for fungibility. And um, by fungibility, I mean, every coin is indistinguishable from every other coin. It's kind of the, the opposite of the hype today about NFTs, right? NFTs is right. non-fungible tokens, but for money, you want it to be fungible. Any like $20 bill you spend should be indistinguishable indistinguishable from any other ones. So you don't care which one you spend. And it's not true today for, for Bitcoin um, and Litecoin, right? When you, um, if you really look into it, when you're spending coins, you, you should pick and choose which coin you spent, you spend without, so that it doesn't reveal any private information that you don't want to reveal, right? So if you got paid $10,000 for as a salary or whatever, uh, if you use those coins to buy coffee, then the recipient will see that you have $10,000 in your bank account worth of whatever Bitcoin. And that's kind of information that you want to keep private, even if you have nothing to hide, right? right. Financial privacy is important. So what I'm working on is um, getting uh, a technology called Mimblewimble onto Litecoin as extension blocks. So the project is called MWeb, which stands for Mimblewimble extension blocks. 
Um, and that would add more privacy and more fungibility to, to Litecoin. And I think that's going to help it become a better form of money. And that's, that's kind of my goal. That, that makes perfect sense. So where do the existing privacy coins fit into the equation at this point, do you think? The Moneros, you know? Um, I, like the coin, coins like Monero, they're on the opposite kind of spectrum of, it's a trade-off between privacy and, um, and basically, uh, how should I say it? Like being supported or being um, like liquidity, right? It's not, Monero is not on many exchanges right. because they don't like the fact that it's too private. Uh, I think privacy is good, but to a certain point, um, there's a trade-off, right? So I think Balance. I, I like to see Litecoin kind of uh, be more in the middle where exchanges will still support Litecoin, um, but you always have the option to move your coins to, a, to the extension block and be more private and be, have more fungibility. Um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but I do, I do like Monero though. I think they're, what they're doing is good. They're sticking to the path of just um, private by default. Everything is private. And um, that's the most important thing. I think there is definitely room for, for a coin like that. Yeah, we need that yeah. polar end, even if it's not going to gain mass adoption, obviously, it still obviously has its place. I'm curious to talk about the fungibility of Bitcoin. And we've seen uh, the huge energy debate, of course, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, brought to the forefront, mostly by Elon Musk of late, but it's been around forever. Do you think that there will ever be potentially a premium on Bitcoin that's mined with renewables or green Bitcoin or something like that, which then again, would kind of eliminate the fungibility, right? Because you'd have the, we've always talked about, you know, different tokens that have been, that have been touched by criminals or have been part of mon money laundering or different. So do you think that we have a world where there's a premium on certain kinds of Bitcoin? I don't think so. And I think that would be bad. I mean, for, for it to be money, right? You don't want it to, for certain coins to be tainted. Um, I, I think the whole energy debate is kind of, is very silly. I think the, um, Bitcoin uses energy, but for a good reason, right? People use energy because it, it helps our lives. It increases our um, productivity and Bitcoin definitely does that. Um, so I think the energy use is, is worth it. Um, and people should actually be talking about how to incentivize better use of energy, right? People shouldn't waste energy. There's incentivize others to, um, to use renewable energy. And that's already happening with, with Bitcoin mining. I think something like 70% plus of Bitcoin mining uses renewable energy. So my point of view is people should focus on doing that, right? Incentivize renewable energy usage as opposed to say people shouldn't do use energy for certain things and just tax things appropriately. And that would change behavior. What do you think was underlying you know, Musk's decision to bring that into the forefront, it's not like anything had changed between the time he decided to allow Tesla to, you know, to accept Bitcoin and just a couple months later when all of a sudden it was taboo in the energy usage. You can't tell me he didn't look into it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, he got pressure from, from his board or from, from whoever, right? It's just, he got bored from the government, whatever it is, he wanted to get um, government subsidy for, for whatever credits. Um, and then he wanted to appease those people, something like that. I would say he got pressured into, into doing this. Um, 
it's it's unfortunate. I think it is what it is. There's just all this flood out there today about this energy usage, and um, we'll get past it. But it happens every time, yeah. right? When Bitcoin grows, it's the same. Really it's it's. Quickly. I mean, it's either energy usage yeah. or used by criminals or one of the like three or four narratives that are recycled every single time. Isn't that frustrating for you? Have you seen it for so long? I, I don't know. It it is what it is. That's my opinion. It's just. Yeah, you run to it and you run to all this flood about Bitcoin is dying or mining death spiral. It just, it's, everything gets recycled every four years. Um, I get used to it. I, I mean, how many times has China, China theoretically banned? Yeah, and they, they banned crypto in your place. lifetime. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, and Bitcoin still keeps on going, prices keep going higher over time. It's, it's okay. Well, doesn't Bitcoin just keep on going no matter what, just by the way it's like it literally by its intrinsic properties and how it's designed? I mean, it can't be stopped. Uh, well, that's not 100% true. I mean, there are there are stuff that potentially could cause issues like quantum computing could cause problems with Bitcoin. Um, but I think we'll be able to handle it when it comes. Um, there's There are definitely stuff and there potentially could be a bug that could cause problems. I mean, that's why developers are so careful, right? They're so... Um, conservative in terms of upgrades. It's not where Ethereum is like, um, is making all these um, crazy changes, even like switching to proof of stake, Bitcoin is being conservative because for, for money to be, to be good money, to be useful, you have to be, it has to be reliable first and foremost. So what do you think of what Ethereum is doing? Do you think that there's a potential chance that this goes horribly wrong for them? <laughs> There's, a, there's definitely a chance it will go horribly wrong, but because it's more centralized than Bitcoin, um, they can easily undo it, right? So I don't think it could go horribly wrong and cause Ethereum to die. I think like, even like, if you look at like the Dow hard fork, that didn't even, that's not even horribly wrong. It's just a lot of people lost, lost a lot of money and it's not really, it's something that's survivable, but they did a hard fork and gave everyone their money back, right? So even something small like that, they are able to undo it. So if something does go horribly wrong, they'll just undo it and fix it. So, and, but that's not, that's not what you want from decentralized money, right? You don't no. want, you don't want a Bitcoin developers to introduce like bugs and all of a sudden, Hey, everyone stop what you're doing. Um, don't use Bitcoin to buy stuff for now. Let me, let's take two days offline and let's fix it. That's not, you can't really do that with Bitcoin, but Ethereum, yeah. I don't think that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, you touched on quantum computing being a huge threat. How, how so? And how far away would that potentially be? I'm definitely no expert in quantum computing. I think- Me either. <laughs> there may be like a handful of experts in quantum computing. Um, my guess is it's still many years down the, down the road, maybe like a decade or so before. It, it's just a pure guess from me, from what I can tell, um, before it becomes an issue. Um, and- Basically, the, the threat is, um, there are two things, right? One is mining can be made super efficient with quantum computing. Um, so it depends on how bad it is, right? If it's just like a step up, like going from GPUs to, A to ASICs, if everybody is like, can produce hashes 10 or 100 times more efficient, then the market will sort itself out. Like everyone will be using the new quantum computing mining, they'll produce, and then the difficulty will go up and everything will be fine. Um, but if it's truly broken, then Bitcoin just needs to change the mining algorithm to something that is uh, quantum safe. 
and that's not too too hard. Um, that likely will require a hard fork, but it's, there's ways to do it without a hard fork, I think. And the other thing that can other thing that can be broken is um, is the public private key cryptography, right? If you're able to steal coins from someone's address, that's bad, right? So before that breaks, Bitcoin has to fix it. Um, I mean, it's possible that that will never be broken, um, but you can't really say never for, for cryptography. Things do get broken over time. Um, if that gets broken, then it'll be bad, but I think we'll have time. We'll be aware of the fact that it's, it's gotten weaker and quantum computing can potentially break it. And then we just have to hard fork a new public key um, encryption system. But the downside is everyone has to move their coins. So if you don't move your coins, your coins will be in something that's not safe. So, um, so Satoshi has to wake up and move his coins if he wants to keep them. That, that would be problematic. I, I had a uh, Michael Saylor on a while ago, actually. Um, and he was touching on the quantum computing thing. And he was like, yeah, I guess it would be an issue for Bitcoin, but like, it's an issue for everything and such That's a grand true, yeah. scale that like, it's almost laughable to think about Bitcoin. Like people could be firing off each other's nukes and stuff with, with quantum computing <laughs> and we're worried about the Bitcoin network. Yeah, the, the whole financial industry is based off of um, encryption, right? Everything is protected by encryption. And yeah, if that's broken, then you can hack into Bank of America and steal everyone's money. Yeah, ex exactly. So what, do you think that there are any other major threats to Bitcoin? Is it regulation? I mean, but we already touched on the laughable China bans back and forth, but do you think that there's something that governments could do to really, really affect the uh, power of Bitcoin? Um, the government can and likely will just be more strict about the on and off ramps, regulating exchanges, um, KYCing everyone, making sure there's nothing nefarious going on, making sure all the money is tracked. Um, I think that's gonna be it's gonna be more strict over time, and it's unfortunate it would just make it harder to move money or move Bitcoin. Um, but that's not gonna kill Bitcoin. The other thing that governments can do is they can ban Bitcoin, right? You have. India banning Bitcoin, China banning Bitcoin. If all the major governments come out to say Bitcoin is bad and they ban it, um, then that's gonna really hamper adoption, like really bad. Um, but I think we're past that point. I don't think that's gonna, I mean, Bitcoin is, is used by everyone now already. All these VCs have plowed a lot of money into the, into the ecosystem. It will be hard for, for even for US government to come out to totally ban Bitcoin. So I don't think that's gonna happen. We're past the point, no return for that. So I'm not very concerned about, about regulation. I mean, you have to imagine that we have enough people in power who are exposed to Bitcoin that it's very unlikely that they would allow that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think Michael Saylor didn't at least make a call to make sure that he wasn't uh, investing in something potentially illegal when he decided <laughs> to go all in on Bitcoin. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like knowing, you know, how everything's a rotating door between government and private business. I don't think we would see these huge investments unless it was pretty yeah, sure that, okay. yeah. Um, and, and you're right about the on and off ramps, but I mean, now at you were at Coinbase, we, we see Coinbase obviously has gone public. I don't think they would have done that if Bitcoin was gonna be regulated away. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Bitcoin's not going away. Uh, what do you make of the Coinbase decision to go public? Um, what do I make of? I mean, I think um, Coinbase definitely is doing a very good, a great job. Um, they're 
I mean, I mean, it's it's very cool. They're they're leading the industry going public. I think the the people are just wondering why Coinbase is using like a the um, legacy financial system to go public as opposed to going public on the on the blockchain. Right. That's, that was interesting. Um, that's definitely something. I think they they've thought about doing that, but it's 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 really tough, right? Um, well, especially for, because they're like the most compliant. That. Like they're the yeah, most yeah. compliant company, and seeing what's happening with Ripple. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's good that they're doing it the traditional way. And eventually they, they will actually build out a system to let, to help others go public on the blockchain, I think, uh, over time. I think that's what, that's their plan. Or I, I would, I would assume that's something they're looking into. Um, yeah, I think um, it's good. And then it, it helps increase the valuation of all the companies in the space. Like all of a sudden, every other company is saying, hey, we should go public also. Like their valuation has increased because Coinbase is actually setting like a really high bar, sure. increasing the um, valuation over across the space. You touched earlier on non-fungible tokens, NFTs. What do you think of what's happening in that space? Obviously, you heard of it from the very early days. And I remember sort of talking about NFTs as things like, transferring your car title or, you know, medical records or, or any of these tokenizing stocks, but we've really seen it come to the forefront in the collectible, in the mm -hmm. collectible sphere. Do you think that that's sustainable? Do you think the NFTs will become a huge thing in the future? Um, I think so a few things. So I've, I've touched up, touched on this topic on Twitter a few times. So I see NFTs for the collectible space as um, just a digital certificate of authenticity. Right, something that cannot, it's better than a paper one because it can't be copied. Um, but in, in the end, it's just, it kind of just links to the artwork. So when you're selling your NFT, you're effectively just selling the, the certificate of authenticity. You're not really selling the artwork because the artwork is available to anyone, right? So it's a digital artwork, it's available to anyone. So you're just trading um, COAs basically. And I don't see a lot of value of doing that. There's definitely some value, but the, the amount of money people are paying for these is kind of ridiculous. I think <laughs> um, I always see like the, because it's just so easy for any artist, any other artist to come into the space and just launch their own like dozens, millions of NFTs. The, the market will be saturated with these NFTs and then, which is already happening and the price will drop. And a lot of people paying like a million dollars for these NFTs, they'll find that there's no resale value. Like if they try yeah. to sell it, they're not the original artist selling it. No one's really going to buy it. There's not going to be a huge market of someone buying an NFT of um, a meme that was or a tweet, right? Or a tweet, right? That that um, Jack Dorsey tweet sold for like millions of dollars. That's crazy. Like, why would why would I buy someone's tweet? And it's not even. It's a third party um, authenticating it, right? It's a third party's website, a centralized website that says this tweet is being sold. In it, like, why the hell would I buy that tweet for a million dollars? Yeah. So it's basically the same thing we have seen in markets: is that you get this initial wave of exuberance, and then it all kind of crashes, and then we see the important use cases sort of arise from there. Yeah, and then in the end, you're selling your brand, right? So if Paris Hilton sells an NFT, it it could sell for a lot because she has a strong brand, so people are buying into her brand. But if a random artist, even like a good artist, um, tries to sell their NFT, 
um, they won't see the same kind of um, demand for their NFT, even if the if the image is arguably even better than whatever Paris Hilton is selling. So you're selling your brand basically, and that's, I mean that that only takes you so far. Yeah, that 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 makes perfect sense. When you have a built-in audience, you can sell them anything. It could be an NFT yeah. or it could be a signed dress, you know, and yeah, or it could be it, a used underwear. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. In that case, for sure. Um, do you think that we will? Um, do you think that we will see eventually stocks tokenized? And I'm not talking about on crypto exchanges. I mean, in the actual stock exchange, we'll you know get rid of clearinghouses. We've obviously seen some moves towards that, um, but this is a superior way to transfer value, right? I mean, on a blockchain, fungible or non fungible, why do we need these third parties in between and clearinghouses to tell us you know when a transaction has gone through? I'm actually not sure um, about that because I, I do agree there's definitely value of having a decentralized way of, of moving stock around. Um, but in the end, it needs to be regulated, right? So right. it will be harder for regu regulatory bodies to kind of control that movement if, um, if it's decentralized. Like they wouldn't want a terrorist group to have to be like, trading stocks for for nukes right stocks of apple computers for nukes, i never right? thought so, about that yeah yeah that's not they wouldn't want that to be used as as currency for for terrorist groups so they want they would want control over that um so that's not going to really help um in that aspect um and also you have to realize decentralized system is inefficient by by design right so if that's why every things stock market is centralized so it's very efficient you if i move if i trade um if i buy and sell apple stocks it doesn't have to be no one else has to know about it it's just an interaction between me and the brokerage right so um when it becomes decentralized it becomes inefficient so i'm not sure that helps if things like if it costs like ten dollars to pay fees to make a trade or even like fifty dollars that's not going to be very good right so right I'm not sure having that kind of stuff decentralized is the solution. Um, maybe as a layer two solution on a, on a blockchain is possible, um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Are there any applications you can think of that blockchain is just absolutely perfect for that it's not being used for? Um, no, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I do. I think the perfect application for blockchain is money. Um, that's what, that's what I'm focused on. I think Bitcoin and Litecoin is, is kind of the best use case of decentralized blockchain. Most other use cases don't really need a blockchain and um, a centralized solution is, is perfectly fine. Like even for stuff like Ethereum, for most apps running on Ethereum, it doesn't really take advantage of the decentralization, um, the censorship resistance of, of Ethereum, right? So um, if you're trading uh, NFTs, in the end, something centralized would be more efficient and people wouldn't really care that much. Right? Like NBA Top Shot. Yeah, true, right? Like NBA Top Shot. They don't like, they claim to be a blockchain, but who knows, right? It's not like you can even like withdraw your, your, your card or your moment to, to your own wallet. So if they're using like a database in the back end and just saying it's blockchain, it works exactly the same. Yep. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's exactly it, right? So CryptoKitties or NFTs or whatever, it doesn't really need 
um, the decentralized aspect of, of Ethereum. So you're paying fees for it. You're paying high fees for this that you don't really need. I mean, those high gas fees absolutely destroyed the lower end NFT artists. Sure. I yeah. mean, there were guys who, you know, when NFTs were starting to get big, you could go mint something for 10 bucks and sell it for 20 and it was fun. But then it became, you had to, you know, mint something for $200 to sell it for five bucks. Yeah. It became unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, gas fees are, have been just exceptionally high through, throughout the last few months. Do you, are you confident that that's something that they can fix? Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're doing to, to fix that. I mean, it's kind of the nature of, of decentralized blockchain. If it gets popular, the fees will go up because you're fighting yeah. for um, block space, which is a valuable commodity. Right. And um, it, the, the, the solution is just to become more centralized. Right. Um, they're potentially their proof of stake work could reduce the fees. Um, but they're also moving, in my opinion, to a more kind of a more centralized model, hmm. um, which is which is okay. I mean, nothing. Right. It doesn't really need to be fully decentralized. Something like it's right. So the money we need full decentralization for the monetary aspects, correct? Of because Bitcoin money, and Litecoin and everything else. Yeah, money. You want you want censorship resistance, right? You want you want money to to be um, to be yours. You don't want someone else to have control or dictate how you can spend your money. Um, but anything else, it's not, it's not that big of an issue. Makes perfect sense. Well, I know we're up against it here with time. Where can everybody follow you and what you're up to after this? Um, I'm always on, on Twitter, though I haven't been tweeting a lot recently. Um, Twitter handle <laughs> is at Satoshi Light. Yeah, I mean, every time I tweet, I get like thousands of haters hating on me for selling it's, it's kind of unbelievable. Ridiculous. It's gotten yeah. so bad. It's yeah, it's gotten pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's four years ago and the price has already exceeded what I, the previous high, right? So it's already so back. It's to all where, because of that. It's, it's endless it's hit all, just because you sold Litecoin. Yeah. Because they think I um, betrayed them or they, they think I crashed the market because I sold the whole market crashed. Um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. People over can't time win. People will forget it. <laughs> yeah, you can't, can't, win. can't win. They never forget anything in my uh, in my very brief experience, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> maybe it'll just become less important to them. Well, thank you, man, so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. And you calling in from space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Scott. <laughs>